right now, I would say the most important thing a white person can do is to speak to other white people about the realities of systemic racism in our country. So I would say if you're a white Christian and you understand some of these dynamics, to actually reach out to white people who don't yet fully understand these dynamics and start a conversation and help them understand. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Mellick and I'll be your host for the program tonight. In May 2015, a group of 25 people gathered to clear growth, fallen logs, branches, and old fencing that had slowly overtaken the Sam Moore Slave Cemetery in Quicksburg, Virginia. Towards the end of the day, as the team reflected on their work, a thick old tree stump in the center of the clearing suddenly popped into flames. It was like something was being released from the ground. On a later visit to the graveyard, about 15 people felt compelled to launch an effort known as the Repentance Project which encourages racial healing through the acknowledgement and communication of the enduring legacies of slavery, as well as through repentance and relationship building. Tonight, we'll hear from two of their leaders, the Reverend Bill Haley and Max Finberg. Gentlemen, welcome to Grace in 30. Great to be with you. Thank you. Tell us more about the Stump Fire. Yeah, well, so my wife and I and family moved out to Quicksburg, Virginia in 2009, after about 15 years of doing inner city ministry in Washington, D.C. And um, we had a real heart for racial reconciliation and racial justice. And we didn't know how that was going to get manifested out here in the country. But not too long after we moved in, we we were shocked to discover that there was an, an old forgotten slave cemetery on the property that all of a sudden we became stewards of. And it took us a couple of years to figure out exactly what to do with it. Um, but, but then, but then we, we, we knew that we needed to honor, um, this sacred land. We needed to honor the 25 or so African-American brothers and sisters who had died in slavery. Um, and that we wanted to make, uh, the graveyard into a special place. And of course that begins with clearing it. It had, it had probably been, uh, not tended for probably a century and there was a lot of clearing to be done. And so we had a, a community work day to clear the site and, um, and it was a lot of clearing. It was a lot of burning. We had a huge burn pile. And, um, and, and about 30, 30 feet away from that big old burn pile, there was this old blackened tree stump. I was probably about six feet tall or so. And it had been taken down by lightning at some point, um, but it just was sitting there. And we paused in the middle of the day just to reflect on what we were doing. And at some point, uh, a teenager said, hey, why is that stump smoking? And we turned and we looked at it and, and I, I kid you not, all of a sudden that tree stump burst into flame as we were all wow. looking at it. It was 30 feet away from where the burn pile was. And, you know, science would probably tell you that somehow the roots caught fire underground and the fire traveled. And then that's, that's what science would say. And I'm sure that's right. But we all knew, we all knew that something else was going on. Um, we, we all felt like something something was being released almost, almost as if there were pent up anguish that was somehow being released in order to find peace. And, um, uh, it was an amazing experience. It, it felt like, it felt like nature was participating in what God was doing. So Max, were you there for that particular event or did you join later? I wasn't there for that one, but it was just a few months later 
in September 2015 that Bill and a couple of others invited me and a larger group to come and and listen to what God was doing and to discern what, if anything, this group of friends, black and white, might do to address the legacy of slavery from a biblical perspective. And that was the start of what has become the Repentance Project. We gathered this group of people, um, about 15 of us, about half black, half white um, or so. um, And it really was to discern whether or not, whether or not there was some way that we wanted to make it possible for folks to make a statement of repentance about our country's history um, relative to racial injustice. And so we gathered on that weekend simply to discern, should we do anything? Um, And the white folks who are in the group, were really putting that to our African-American brothers and sisters, really wanting them to either say, this is a good idea or this is a bad idea. And if they had said, this is a bad idea, then we would not have done it. Um, And so we had, we, we had our meeting and, and then we broke for lunch and we went up to the graveyard uh, simply to see the graveyard and to pray. Now, it was early September and it hadn't rained for four weeks um, and it was dry as a bone. And so Max told the story of the burning tree stump and he connected that to the holy ground that we were standing on in the graveyard. And, and he asked people to take off their shoes and socks as we began to pray. And nobody really wanted to do that, but we knew it was the right thing to do. And so we did. And um, and and our brother, David Bailey, um, led us in prayer. And there were about probably 25 people there, including the 15, as well as another group of high school kids from Baltimore. And as David began to pray, he called for a moment of silence. And all of a sudden you could hear the wind start to pick up and, and the trees started shaking and the tree, the, the leaves started falling and something was going on. And, and then you could hear the rain and David started praying. And a lot of us started crying. And all of a sudden, this, this cloud burst just began to open up and just a downpour hit all of us. And, and there we all were, barefoot, um, wet, crying, praying, holding hands. And the rain just fell and fell and fell for about 10 minutes. Um, and I kid you not, as soon as David Bailey said, amen, the rain stopped. It stopped. And we all knew something had happened. We didn't know what it was. And, and we went back to the building where we were meeting. And the next question on the agenda was, do we move forward? And it was a question for our African-American brothers and sisters. Do you think we should move forward? And so I put the question out there and, and, and our brother, Mike Aitchison, after a moment of silence said, well, my feet are already dirty. So I think we should keep on walking. And, and it was the sentiment of the group. It was, it was the sentiment of the group that we, we put the question to God and God used nature to answer us. And, um, our sense was very clearly and very simply the Lord saying, I'm with you. And, and that time in the graveyard praying in the rain, it, it felt like two things. It felt like, it felt like, well, my 10 year old daughter at the time, Iona was with me and she, she tugged on my sleeve and said, daddy, God's crying. And, and I think he was, and, and it also felt like a baptism of sorts. And so that was the event that, that really um, was, was the beginning of the Repentance Project. So I have to ask, what is repentance and why is it so important for Americans, particularly white Americans, to acknowledge and mourn and, and make a 180 degree turn from 400 years of really 
a systematic form of oppression. Since before the founding of our country, in fact, Ed, the the idea around repenting comes from the Jewish concept and the Hebrew word teshuva, to turn around. So it's not just, oh, I was wrong. It's a change. And so that was the conversation that afternoon and since of it has to require something more of us. And as we continued walking together as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, learning one another's stories, deepening the friendships, it was a clear understanding that a simple statement was a great start, but not sufficient. And so with that, we set about developing uh, a resource, especially targeted toward other believers of European descent who might not have learned everything in their history classes or in their congregations growing up about the legacy of slavery and of racial discrimination that our country was built on. And so that's where we took it in the direction of we have to make this concrete. And so with that, together, collectively, created this resource of an American Lent, a devotional that allowed people to engage scripture with the history and legacy of slavery in our country and what that looked like in the modern day, given that slavery on the surface was eliminated years ago. So that that aspect of repentance has been what's driven us ever since. So we're going to get into some stories about uh, how you've helped various groups out with, with what you've developed. But I want to talk a little bit about your backgrounds. Um, Bill, I know you spent about 15 years in urban uh, and racial justice ministry, and you specifically told me a story about uh, the Baltimore riots in 2015 and and how you saw the evangelical response, and it made you really think deeply about uh, the importance of of doing something more significant, uncovering the root cause of a problem and addressing it. Why don't you tell people about that? When we discovered the graveyard on our property in 2010, um, and then a couple of years later when we started to be really convicted that we needed to do something meaningful with it, that led me to, that led me to a lot of study about uh, the reality of slavery in this particular county in Virginia, uh, which is in the northern part of the state. And the local lore was that there was no slavery that happened here. That was all much further south. Well, it turns out there was a lot of slavery that happened here. And learning about the conditions of slave just in this county was really painful. And then, of course, that led to understanding the the ubiquity of slavery throughout the state of Virginia. And that was really awful and really painful. And that, of course, led to learning more about the presence of slavery throughout the entire South and even the country. And that was really painful. And it was just a year long, a year long journey into the darkest depths and horror, really. And it, it, it just grieved me and almost literally made me sick the more that I learned. Um, and so when Baltimore happened, I'd already been swimming in that, in the, that study and already feeling uh, pained by the not just the history of our country, but also the legacy and how it lives on even now. And so Baltimore erupted in flames in 2015. And, and once again, I heard people from my own tribe, my own 
church, um, you know, the white evangelical church, basically asking, well, why is this happening? And why are people getting violent? And why do they have to do this? And and I heard I heard a lot of prayers for peace coming from my tribe, but I didn't hear any calls for justice. It was much more, hey, let's hope this settles down. Um, and it what wasn't very much at all about let's understand what the dynamics are that are eliciting this sort of response in reaction to the death of Freddie Gray. And um, I just realized that I wanted to somehow help my white brothers and sisters understand better why um, why the African community, African American community, reacts the way that it does in certain situations. And uh, I've been so very grateful in most recent days after the death of George Floyd that it just seems like a lot more white Christians are understanding that it's it's it is about something that is. Um, deeply and systemically wrong in our country that needs to be addressed. But in 2015, the church wasn't there yet. It took 350 years of the infrastructure in every way of our country to wind the reality of racial injustice into the DNA of our country. 350 years of that. We are 50 years past the civil rights movement. And even since those days, there's still been a lot of resistance to change and racial equity. And so that which took 350 years to get established deeply in the foundation of our country is going to take more than a decade or a generation or even a couple to be unwound and untwisted. This is this is not only a lifelong work. This is a work that will that will last far after you, Ed, and you, Max, and I are long gone. I agree. Max, I'd like to hear from you a little bit, too. Uh, you have a very interesting background. You had a Jewish father and Christian mother. And you also went to Howard Divinity School, where you had evidently a very special professor mentor. And you said to me when we talked on the phone previously that the black church has something very special to offer or to give to the United States. And tell us about that, about your experience there at Howard and what you learned. I grew up, like many others, in a small town where there were only a couple of African-American families. So my exposure didn't come naturally. Segregation and the separation that Satan has caused in the church, as well as the country has caused through deliberate policies over those many centuries, have, have an impact. And I knew that enough to say, I need to learn more. Part of my privilege was not having to know about the Black experience or otherwise. And so was very blessed to have friends who would be willing to not only befriend me, but ended up living together in a house with three Black people, two white people, three women, two men. And it was during that time that I got to go to Howard Divinity School. And as you said, I had the privilege of having a fabulous mentor who is also my pastor. Reverend Dr. Cheryl Sanders is a professor of Christian social ethics and pastor at Third Street Church of God. Those experiences of some of the deepest and closest friendships in my life, being with folks who don't look like me, and having been at a black church for 25 years and able to study what other pastors who were pastoring black churches were also studying. And so we've seen that over and over again in the face of people 
losing loved ones who were killed uh, long before George Floyd. That's happened, whether that was Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where a young white man killed the pastor and others during Bible study, or the brother of a black man, Botham John, in Dallas, saying he forgive, forgave the woman who did it. The depth of forgiveness that the black church and the African-American community have been called on time and time again continues to speak to the power of Christ, even though it has been wielded against them in the name of Christendom in ways that are unfathomable now. So I've had a profound experience and am completely grateful for being loved into that community of brothers and sisters uh, in the Shaw neighborhood in D.C., as well as being able to, to go to Howard Divinity School. Let's talk a little bit about the American Lent and American Lament resources you have developed and get into some stories about some individuals, churches, organizations that have used these and benefited from them. So at the first meeting of the Repentance Project, before it even was the Repentance Project, the initial idea was maybe we can generate some sort of signature campaign online where we could have thousands and thousands of Christians saying, I get it, I repent, I'm committing to a different way of life. And But we realized that we realized that, that was sort of too quick and too easy. It was would have been more token. And we realized that what we were particularly interested in was not so much token activism, but actually the commitment to allow oneself to be formed. Um, that we wanted people to take a journey, as it were, into this particular aspect of our country's history and present and 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 really commit to not only learn but also grieve. And so we didn't know how to do that, but along the way the idea emerged of of, you know, the season of repentance is Lent. And maybe we could do something for Lent that would be helpful. And as Max mentioned earlier, collectively we we'd created a 50-day devotional that is saturated with prayers and with scriptures and questions for reflections, but then but then also a particular reflection on an aspect of, of slavery itself and then how that legacy continues to manifest itself right now uh, in 2020. And so, for example, um, the connection between lynching in the slavery and Jim Crow area with um, the inequitable distribution uh, of the death penalty now or um, uh, slavery itself with mass incarceration and convict leasing, that when you take the time to simply look at the history and look at the contemporary statistics and realities, you see that those connections are actually not hard to make. And so it's a pretty long list of, of, of fruit, I would say, uh, the fruit of slavery that continues to be yielded even now. And, um, but all of that, all of that with the subtext of both repentance, but also hope. Uh, hope in Jesus and and a conviction that that God calls His people to be healers and reconcilers, and so we developed that that tool called an American Lament, and it's been used now for about four years. Um, but we realized that that it's not just during Lent when people need to be aware of these things and repentant, and so we also developed a fifty day tool that can be used anytime. And that's called an American lament. It's the same context, but it can be used anytime by any group of people. 
a friend of mine who uh, lives in a different city is in Nashville, Tennessee, works with the Christian musicians there, has a heart for racial reconciliation and had been interested before. So I contacted him when this uh, was coming out and said, here's a great tool. He ended up using it with his small group at church. They were moved by it as well. And he then shared it with some of the musicians, some of the stars who we would recognize. uh, And they too were able to uh, at least engage it. And that has led to some deeper conversations within the contemporary Christian music scene about their role and their need to address issues of race within that community as well. And so that was just one welcome story of how this has had an impact. They've continued to engage in these issues up to the present day, and it's a recognition that it isn't just one and done. It isn't just something where you can check the box and be finished. Uh, The great thing is they've understood that and recognized that as well. We've been been really surprised um, by the amount of, of individuals and small groups and churches and leadership teams and uh, denominations that have been using an American Lent. Um, those those span the spread of denominational uh, tradition, um, Anglicans, Baptists, Methodists, Catholics. There was a diocese out west that picked it up and used it. Independent churches, Bible churches. It's been remarkable. Um, and I've been amazed and gratified by the way that God has used this to really change hearts and change lives. Um, just a couple of stories on that. Uh, there was a, a pastor at a large Anglican church in Baltimore who realized that he just didn't understand uh, the racial history of our country or racial present of our country as much as he wanted to. And so last year in 2019, he did an American Lent, just him and a couple of his parishioners. Um, It wasn't a church program or anything. Um, It was just him as a sort of an act of discipleship. But it really, it really impacted him. And he realized that he needed to do more, but he didn't know what to do exactly. And in the life of a church, things get busy and things fall off the screen. But but then in the wake of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd um, and all that was going on, uh, this pastor took that as the opportunity to say, you know, a year and a half ago, I wasn't very far in this journey. I'm a lot farther. I don't know where it's going, but I've got to do something. We've got to do something. And here's a tool that we can use together to help us understand our history so that we can wisely act. Um, and so that's that's a whole church being impacted. I think of another, another woman who, um, after she read the, the day, the devotional day in American Lent about historically black uh, colleges and universities, and also about how many of the premier white private universities uh, were funded with slave money, she realized that her university, her alma mater, which was uh, a predominantly white school, was founded on on money that had been generated by slavery. And so she realized that she needed to stop giving money to her alma mater, and she began giving her money to historically black colleges and universities. That's, that's significant. Um, but we've been surprised at how how widespread this has gone. Um, I'd say literally thousands and thousands of people across the country and and even some around the world have used this tool. And we're always surprised when someone mentions the Repentance Project and we knew nothing about them using the tool. We're always delighted by that. 
in this most recent season with the protests in the wake of the death of George Floyd, we've seen interest in American Lent and American Lament just go through the roof and kind of feel like we just did what we were supposed to do a few years ago. And all of a sudden it becomes really, really helpful in such a time as this. Max, what's the most important thing you'd like to share with listeners? So two things that uh, Paul had to share. One was in his second letter to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And this is a moment that we can't forget that. We have to represent our Christ who knew that everyone was created in the image of God. And while we might recognize that or think that, this American lament gives us an opportunity to dig a little deeper to understand that that's not the case and that we have been intertwined like a weed on a branch in my garden with the sin of racism. And so that's where we need to finish the race, not just have this be a moment in time, but continue the hard work of looking at our own hearts and repenting. Bill? So a really important question that is being asked right now from the white community is, uh, in this moment, what's the most important thing that a white person can do? And for a while, I've said the most important thing a white person can do is simply to learn. And while that's still true, right now, I would say the most important thing a white person can do is to speak to other white people about the realities of systemic racism in our country. So I would say if you're a white Christian and you understand some of these dynamics, to actually reach out to white people who don't yet fully understand these dynamics and start a conversation and help them understand. Gentlemen, last question. What is the gospel, the gospel of grace? Love, no exceptions, and especially those who are marginalized and cast out. Jesus demonstrated that with his life, with his teaching, with his resurrection. That's what we're called to do in sharing the gospel. The good news is that God created this world uh, so that People, all of us could live in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with each other. The bad news is that it broke really badly through sin. But the even better news is that Jesus came and he lived and he loved and then he died and he rose again so that the world could get back to its original design of what God always wanted it to be, where we would be in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with each other. And so the good news is, is that's possible. And the good news is, is that not only has Jesus made it possible, but he also calls each one of us to live in that reality, but then also to bring that reality into being. So the gospel is that Jesus is real and that Jesus has made a new way and that Jesus invites us into it. In fact, even to be his agents on this planet for his work. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me. If listeners would like to find out more about the work that Bill, Max, and others are doing, please visit repentanceproject.org on the web. This is Ed, Bill, and Max signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.